Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, February 23rd, we are studying Luke chapter 10, 38 through chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus commends his word to Martha and to Mary as the one thing necessary, and then he teaches his disciples to pray. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us Pastor Andrew Belt. Pastor Belt serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, welcome to Sharper Iron. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Pastor Belt, your congregation, Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin, y'all are the Church of the Week on KFUO this week. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about why KFUO is important to the saints there at Christ Lutheran Church. Well, I think it's just simply because it connects people to Jesus. It gives them resources. I know especially a lot of them during the week where, you know, this happened just a couple of weeks ago during Bible class where we were talking about subjects. We're doing the Book of Concord study in our, for as we get geared up for Lent and everything. And uh, one of the members referenced, you know, KFUO and the radio programs that we've been broadcasting and sharing because we kind of share you guys' links on our, you know, Facebook and um, and just try to put you guys out there as well, because this is great Lutheran context and uh, discussion. And it just kind of, as people go about their week, right, they can have this opportunity to hear Christ for them um, as they're going about work or travel or you name it. So it's, you guys are a fantastic resource, and, and it's uh, a pleasure to be able to kind of listen and to kind of be a part of it, too. Yeah, we, we really appreciate your support. It's always encouraging to me, especially as, as one who is also removed from St. Louis and you know, we can't tune the dial to AM eight fifty here. We can we have to go online. <laughs> it's always encouraging to me to hear congregations outside the St. Louis area who are finding KFUO useful. I think it's one of the hidden gems of the Missouri Synod. And so it's it's a great joy to hear that your congregation is benefiting from it and and using it there in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Again, thank you to Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin for being the Church of the Week here on KFUO. And for ah. you, Pastor Belt, for being our guest today on Sharper Iron, we have the privilege of studying part of Luke 10 and part of 11, a fantastic text this morning. As we prepare to look at it, give us some context. What do we need to know about Luke, his gospel, and what he's been doing leading up to the text we've got today? Well, you know, this uh, our text, you know, with chapter 10 and 11 here today, where as you kind of get into it here, um, we've transition now into the the narrative of Jesus going to Jerusalem. You know, these are the, usually called the travel narratives uh, from chapter 9, verses 51, all the way to chapter 19, verse 27, when he enters Jerusalem. And, you know, so we're kind of given little reminders of that throughout this, you know, section of Luke's gospel. Of, here's Jesus. He's traveling to Jerusalem. Um, and here's what he's going to do when he's going to Jerusalem. You know, the, the cross is never far behind and Luke's mind, and he doesn't want us to forget that either. It's almost like the shadow that wants to be cast over every narrative. And, you know, and, and I remember Dr. Oshwald and his very, because he opened up this uh, Gospel of Luke, and, you know, he said one of the things about Luke's Gospel is that it's very pastoral. It focuses on the centrality of the cross throughout the whole thing, and you definitely see it throughout these entire travel narratives. Um, and we see it here today in our text as well. Mm. I appreciate you reminding me of Dr. Oswald's comment about the pastoral 
aspect of the Gospel of Luke, because it kind of slipped my mind or, or gone into the back of it, and I appreciate it right here, because I, I do think you see a very pastoral concern from Jesus. It, it just a, These texts, for me, hold a special place, because the very first sermon I preached after I was ordained on a Sunday morning was, was this text from Luke 10, ah. Mary and Martha, and then the next week was the, the text on the Lord's Prayer, and, and just... I recall studying those texts for those first two sermons that I preached, and and you could see the pastoral heart of Jesus, and it was just a, a wonderful way to to open a ministry here in in Smithville. So uh, that's fantastic. I love that. What about in the in the immediate context in in chapter ten, where as you said, we're in that travel narrative, and the the shadow of the cross, we see it all over the place because that's where Jesus is headed. What it, what's there in the immediate context that that helps us with again Martha and Mary and the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at today? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of what begins. Luke chapter 10 here, you have the Jesus sending out the 72 and, you know, and them returning. And then you also have like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and in both of those sections, you know, something as I was digging in and studying and prepping for all this too, one of the things that you kind of noted is that when the 72 return, you know, they're, you know, they're rejoicing and Jesus kind of tells them, you know, uh, you know, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Uh, so, you know, there's that kind of aspect of, you know, it, don't focus you know, so much on what you're able to do, but rejoice in the fact that you, know, you belong to me, that your names are written in, in you know, the book of life. Um, and you know, once again, a reminder of the cross that this is all about what Jesus has come to do, not so much you know, our efforts for him. And then you get that too in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? That's right before this section that we're getting into today with you know, the lawyer who wants to justify himself, you know, who is my neighbor? Um, and you know, Jesus kind of you know, talks the law a little bit to him. And, you know, it says, well, you go and do likewise, right? Which if you, as you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, right, is that law hits you, it kind of reminds you, ooh, you know, I, I have not done likewise. I need someone to, you know, be a Good Samaritan to me, which, you know, the, the good parable Good Samaritan kind of smacks of Jesus being our Good Samaritan who, you know, cares for us, anoints us, cares for us as well. So you do get a lot as we dig into, you know, especially Martha and Mary here, you know, because Martha, Martha's going to be very, you know, like, about the serving, she gets distracted with it, and Jesus has to remind her, as he does with the, the lawyer and the 72, about what the chief important thing here is to receive from Jesus. Yeah, and I appreciate the way you, you tied that to the Good Samaritan, and, and if we look at Jesus as the Good Samaritan, that you know, he's the one who came not to be served, but to serve, that theme is going to carry over into Mary and Martha. And then I, I think, and we'll talk about this, but the, the prayer that comes after it, okay, so I've been served by Jesus. I know he's coming to give. What What's my response? Well, I'm I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask him for those things yeah. that he desires to give. So some some beautiful connections here in Luke 10 and into 11. So let's go ahead and jump into the text. We're, we're again in Luke 10, beginning at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
And that takes us through the end of chapter 10. That's Luke 10, 38 through 42. So, Pastor Bell, I think this is a fairly familiar text. You mentioned we've got the journey language there at the beginning. They went on their way. Jesus comes to this village, and we meet two women, Martha and Mary. If we're familiar with the Gospels, these two women, we know a little bit about them. I think this is the first time we've met them in Luke. Just set set the scene for us. What's going on here? Jesus going to this house with Martha and Mary. Well, you know, I, this is very reminiscent of already what happened in chapter 10 when Jesus sent out the 72 mm-hmm. and even some similar language that's being used here. Uh, you know, he goes into the village as Jesus had sent the 72 to go out to the various villages around the area to proclaim to them the kingdom of God. And we're told that when Jesus tells them that, right, he says that if anyone receives you, right, go into their house eat anything that they, you know, put before you. And then also, if anyone does not receive you, right, he gets the, you know, wipe off the dust of your feet and say, nevertheless, the kingdom of God is, has come near. Um, we have here, Jesus enters into this village and a uh, the two women here, we meet the first one here, Martha, uh, we're told that she welcomes him into her house. And, you know, and the word there is actually the same word that Jesus used back early in chapter 10 with received. Uh, so Martha receives Jesus into her home. So, you know, to kind of paint the scene, you almost got this picture of, well, what's Jesus going to do now? He's acting as he uh, is the missionary who's come to broadcast and say, you know, the kingdom of God is near. Uh, so you get this opportunity that Jesus comes in. He's been received. What's he going to do? He's going to start proclaiming the kingdom of God um, in the midst of Martha and her sister Mary and whoever else is going to be in the area to hear this. And coming up to see Jesus. I'm glad you you noted that connection to what happens at the beginning of 10, particularly with Martha being the one to receive or to welcome Jesus into her home. Because as you know, we we when we think of this account, Martha sometimes she's not the the bad guy in that sense, but she's the the more negative example whereas Mary's the positive. But from the outset, it's important to see Martha's doing that right thing that was commanded, I mean at least implicitly Back in Luke chapter 10, when the disciples went out, you know, there are going to be those who receive you. That's Martha. So, I mean, she's yeah. she's she's done the right thing here at the beginning of the text. This is a positive start for Martha, I guess, is the, just the point that we should notice as she welcomes Jesus. Now, okay, I mean, so great. Good job, Martha. You welcomed the messenger of the kingdom, Jesus himself. Now, here's Mary, also in the home, Martha's sister. She's doing something different. So, and that's where we're going to start to see the, the contrast between Martha and Mary. Take us into to what's happening with Mary. So, yeah, so as, you know, we get Martha, who's over here kind of busy, and she's doing, as you kind of mentioned, uh, put any, put, eat anything that they put in front of you, Jesus told the 12, uh, the 72. And now here is, you know, Martha, she probably gets that, okay, you know, I have to make sure I'm serving. Well, then Mary, here she is, and she's sitting at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching, um, and, you know, and just there's a couple of things that just kind of strike me with that one. Um, one is kind of how Luke talks a little bit in his gospel. Um, you know, he kind of Luke's narrating voice and it's, it, he does it several times. And he, he first says, Lord, like Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Um, you know, it doesn't just say Jesus's feet, but the Lord's feet. Uh, and this is a callback, you know, Luke, who also writes, you know, Acts. When, you know, what's the major confession that we see in the book of Acts that's happening that Jesus is Lord. And so Luke is also quick to kind of note, you know, Mary here is sitting at Jesus's feet and she's listening to him talk. She's listening to him teach, which, you know, is kind of maybe shocking for who she is, too, as a, as a woman uh, sitting at and listening to Jesus proclaim the kingdom of God, uh, even to her. 
So, yeah. okay. Yeah. So the Lord, I like that. I mean, that's a, just an important thing to notice with, with Luke. And then she's sitting at the Lord's feet. Now this is, I mean, you've got a few things in the notes that you sent me ahead of time. And, and the fact that you noticed the feet, I, I appreciate that. Cause there were a few other moments in Luke's gospel already where Jesus feet come into play in a situation that is at least I think related to what's going on. So she's sitting at the Lord's feet. Why, why is that location significant? Well, it's always a, a spot of receiving from Jesus. Uh, you know, we see it earlier in it was chapter eight, the formerly de- demon possessed man, uh, you know, by the, the Sea of Galilee there. And we're told that he's when the crowds come, he's in his right mind and sitting at Jesus's feet. Um, and I also kind of, you know, in this section, too, uh, I, what I do love is, you know, a contrast with Martha. You can picture her. You know, she's off busy. Her feet are moving. You know, she's going from one place to the next, trying to, you know, be busy. Well, where's Mary? She's sitting at Jesus's feet. So it's kind of this image of who's the one serving, who's the one receiving. Uh, and it, we see this contrast here as well. But yeah, the feet's important. Uh, it means, you know, a reception. It means, uh, you know, Jesus is at work. He's busy. Um, he's the one doing the, the serving for us. And, uh, and we see it, you, you see it a lot of times in the Gospel of Luke. At the very, I think it's uh, Luke chapter 1 there, Zechariah's song, right? The, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet mm. into the way of peace. Uh, so you kind of see this being kind of highlighted here with, um, you know, here is Martha, her feet, you know, she needs to be directed to the, the proper understanding of what this serving is meant to be doing. Um, you know, as she's distracted. And I just kind of, you know, I love that imagery that's being presented in Luke's gospel. It's, you know, he's very incarnational, uh, Luke is. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, so Luke 8, as you mentioned, the, the demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed man is sitting at Jesus' feet, the same posture as, as Mary has here. And it also struck me when we were talking about Luke 7 earlier in this study, the, the sinful woman who enters the Pharisee's house, mm. and she goes and anoints Jesus' feet. But, but as you said, the, that's a, the place of, of worship and the place of receiving, because that's what we see there in, in Luke 7, is this woman, it, she wants to be there at Jesus' feet because she knows the forgiveness of sins that she's receiving, and that, that being the highest form of worship, as we talked about with yeah. that study. So yeah, I mean, to see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, she, she lines up with other figures in the Gospel of Luke that have received from Jesus there. So she too, I mean, and again, just to to put these two women side by side, Martha welcoming Jesus, this is a positive thing. Right. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, this is also a positive thing. And so, I mean, I think you know, it's, it's not that it's not that Martha is being put down here, but she's being directed, maybe to use that language from Luke chapter one, into the way of peace so that, that her her feet don't miss what Mary's feet are receiving there at Jesus' feet. Boy, I hope I can keep all that yeah. straight. So, all right. <laughs> so. Well, something that I kind of like too with this section is, uh, you know, we can remind ourselves of the Old Testament, right? That the heaven is the Lord's throne and the, the mm. temple is his footstool. And yeah. so the people who come to the temple are here to be at the feet of Jesus, uh, the feet of the Lord. And here in the New Testament, right, we see that too that Mary, you know, Jesus is the temple. Um, and we get that a lot in Luke's gospel with the first couple of chapters there, the focus on the temple. Yeah. Um, and now then it transitions to Jesus being this new temple. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, his people. Um, and so what a, you know, kind of a glorious image that connects us. Kind of Luke likes to do that, right? He likes to bring out lots of themes from the Old Testament, that fulfillment kind of too. And, you know, and that I also kind of know is the people who sit at Jesus's feet are sometimes really shocking people. The, the formerly mm. demon-possessed man here, the, this woman, 
uh, you know, Luke's gospel is always focusing on is who are the people of God? Who are the people receiving from him? The sinful woman in, you know, chapter seven. Um, you know, it's, it's, so we see that a lot. These people who receive from Jesus are the people who are the people of God. Um, and we, you know, that's still in our midst here today when we come to worship, right? We're here to receive from the Lord. You know, we're kind of coming to his feet, maybe as it were. <laughs> that's right. Well, and I mean, I can't help but connect that too, then to the, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, how often he will right. point out, hey, look, here's my hands and my feet, which certainly, you know, I mean, that's a sign of a physical resurrection that you see the wounds there. But even I think that, you know, the recognition of feet, and I'm not sure if it's in Luke or one of the other gospels, but at one point they want to hold on to Jesus' feet even. So again, that that yeah. remains that place of worship. And I love the way you connected that to the temple being the footstool of God and then Jesus being the new temple. It's fantastic stuff. So we, we've got yeah, Martha. We've got Mary. Now, in verse 40, we start to see that where Martha maybe needs to be redirected in, in what she's right. doing. And the way that, that Luke phrases it, at least as the ESV translates it, is that Martha was distracted with much serving. So where's where, where is she misdirected here? Because we've said she's doing the right thing by welcoming Jesus, but now something's not quite right. What's going on with Martha? Yeah, you know, and I love you know the 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 Greek here. It has the kind of this being pulled away. Yeah, you almost get someone being pulled in two main directions, and uh, overburden is another way to kind of put it too. And and this is why she kind of fires off on Mary, saying, "Why you know you should be helping me." And it's kind of a pastoral point here that Luke hits upon. You know, once again, Luke being very pastoral, that it, Jesus had sent them out, you know, the seventy-two to work two by two because it is an overburden to be on your own, that you need that help. And so once again, you know, Martha's kind of understanding this, you know, I need help here. But the thing is that she's being pulled away, overburdened. You know, and I think, you know, as a church worker ourselves here, we can probably feel that way too, that we can sometimes in our service to the Lord, and as Christians too in general, that we can become distracted with serving too, that uh, we lose sight of what our vocations are, are calling us to do, and they become like ends to themselves. Um, I think you see that a little bit here with, you know, Martha. She's she's being pulled away from the the point of serving, uh, the point of you know, caring for Jesus in her home, right? And it's a good thing that she wants to do, but um, the distraction there is is the not good thing. Um, yeah, right. I, so. I mean, this this scene is is just a. I mean a wonderfully human scene. I mean, we see this in Luke so often where he just, you, you see the humanity of the people very clearly. And it's, this is just so easy to imagine this happening, particularly two sisters. I've, I've got, I've got several children and I know that when, when one of them thinks that, you know, I'm doing all the work and my brother isn't, <laughs> that's when things go, go haywire. And so, and, and the same in the church. I mean, how, how easy is it for any group of people when they're, you know, working together on something for one to say, I'm doing all the work. You're not. You need to help. And, and I mean, you know, Martha bringing this to the Lord's attention, it makes perfect sense. And I, I, I like the way that you point out the word "distracted" as as the key. The, and if I, one of the ways that I've I've thought about this text, and I know we're going to talk about the the one thing necessary in a moment, but maybe one way that I've tried to contrast the two is, you know, Mary's got the one thing necessary in, in her focus, mm. and that only. And it seems like Martha has the one more thing, you know, and I mean, you can imagine right. this if you've, and when we serve in the church and when we serve at home, like here's one thing to do, and then here's one more thing to do, and here's one more yeah. thing, and, and on and on and on until you, you've gotten so far removed from that one thing necessary, that that kind of distraction is what it seems that, that Martha has gotten herself into, and that's, 
man, that that's just so easy for us in the church, yeah. I think. You know, and I'm sure you've encountered this when we've we've served in the church for so long, whether it's a pastor or as a lay leader, you know, it's it's easy to uh, to find our identity there in in my service to the church rather right. than the, again the service that Jesus gives to me. You know, it's it's almost like you hear this and I'm kind of reminded of Revelation, right? So the the church in Ephesus right who've lost their first love. Mm. Um, and you know, and you maybe you can see that here a little bit with Martha, right? She she does love the Lord, but with everything else that's happening with her distraction being pulled away and overburdened, right? It's it's taking her away from that first, that only love. Um, and and Mary's getting this. She, she's sitting here, and, and you know, I'm sure after all this too is after Jesus finishes teaching, there's time for service. There's time for then. All right, let's get the food prepped and put before us and and things like that. But right, but right now, here's the first and foremost, and as Jesus would say, the only necessary thing. Yeah, seek first the kingdom of God. That's right. So, so Martha, you know, she, I, I, am trying to put myself in Martha's shoes. She, I think she's, yeah. she thinks she's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, she comes to Jesus, look, tell her to help me. She's expecting Jesus to do just that. Cause, cause clearly Mary needs to help that that's gotta be, that's, that's the way I would assume, but that's not what the Lord has in mind. And there, look at in verse 41 again, there again, the Lord answered her. Yeah. And I think we really see the, the pastoral heart of Jesus here in verses 41 and 42. Take us into to how Jesus gently teaches Martha. Response here. Well, I love it, right? That just Martha, Martha. Yeah. You know, it's this tone of like him, like of uh, just feeling for her, right? He sees her working, he sees all the effort she's doing. And but he wants her to still receive from him. So there's kind of that the tone there of uh, not rebuke, but it's one of affection and it's one of care for Martha. Jesus cares about her. Um, he loves her. And she received him into his house, right? There's there's nothing that you know he is angry about with her. Um, he just wants to retool and refocus her and wants her to receive what Mary here is receiving. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, the beauty, beauty here too. And I love that, you know, that you're anxious, you're troubled, um, <laughs> you know, as a church worker, you know, just the last couple of years in our world, right? There's a lot to be anxious over and troubled about, um, especially as we, we were trying to do our best to, you know, serve our family, serve the gospel, serve Jesus. Um, and just to be reminded again, that what Jesus wants for us, what he is pleased to do, what he, you know, has joy in doing is giving to us um, and to never lose sight of that focus, right? So when we gather as a church, uh, you know, here, the Saints in Marshfield here, that we gather 6.30s on Thursday and then uh, again, 9 o'clock on Sunday, you know, and what are we here to do? We're here to receive from Jesus. We're here to pause, you know, there's everything going on in our world and we need to first and foremost hear the words of Jesus and receive from him. And, you know, and then when you strengthen and you're equipped and you receive from Jesus, then yes, there is the the service, there is the, the vocations that God calls us to. Uh, but we can't forget, as Jesus doesn't want Martha to forget, and for us, that you know He wants us to have Him and the work and the service that He does for us. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a, a beautiful thing. Take us into Jesus' words, particularly where He says one thing is necessary. And then he calls what Mary has chosen the good portion. Those those two <laughs> phrases seem pretty significant in Jesus' answer. Right. You know, there's the you're worried about many things, but there's one thing. Um, and then the you know, the good portion. You know, Mary here is probably cooking. So this, you can think about the house, right? There's probably the, the smell of food cooking, uh, you know, maybe the sound smell of bread that's rising, you know, and everything. And 
And, you know, this idea of, you know, you, you can think of that. I know when we have like our Lenten meals here before service or something like or after, you know, you're in church, you can smell the food. Uh, and here, you know, here's Jesus, he's preaching and he wants, you know, he's almost, he's cooking up his own meal here. Yeah. Um, it's a meal that gives us eternal life. So a good portion here is a play on the words. Both Jesus and, and um, Martha, they're serving. Uh, but there's only one food that will give the rest and the peace, right? Almost like, you know, Mary's, uh, Martha's service here is causing her to be overworked and stressed and, you know, worried. And But the work that Jesus has come to do, the portion that he's dishing out, is going to cause peace and rest and contentment. You know, you get this, in, you know, this is John's gospel, but you see that all over the place with, you know, uh, you'll never thirst if you drink of this water. You know, you'll never hunger again if you partake of this. And, and, you know, and here's Jesus, this kind of same theme that Mary, Martha, Mary has the good portion, Martha, um, and, and an extension to, you know, here's the good portion, Martha. How about you have some of this here, yeah. too? Um, and that gives ideas, too, of, you know, Luke's gospel is really big on food. Mm. Um, you know, it pops, you know, in the next few chapters here, in the next few weeks when you're doing this as well, you're getting to all of those parables of the wedding banquets and of table fellowship and um, and here we see another idea, a snippet here of the importance of you know, who eats together and what happens when you partake of God's word. Um, and so the people of God that gather together for that. Oh, so. it, it's, it's such a wonderful thing that Jesus gives to Martha here. You know, I mean, and I, I think of in my own life as a pastor, as a, a Christian, a father, a husband, how, how true Jesus' words prove to be. Because, I, I mean, I, I can put myself in Martha's shoes, busy about so many things, mm. and it's easy in that distraction to lose sight of the one thing necessary. But then when the Lord, you know, somehow gets my attention and, and yeah, reminds right. me of that one thing necessary, and I, I sit down at his feet, what what joy and rest there is. And, I, I you know, I, I feel foolish as I'm going through that. Like, why, why didn't I listen sooner? Because there's such rest here in the Word. It's, it's such a, I mean, it's just a joyful thing. And again, that pastoral heart of Jesus that he's, he's not mad at Martha. He's, he wants her to receive the good thing. It's such a, it's just a beautiful picture yeah. and what a joy when it, when it comes to me in that way too. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm reminded of our hymn too. A lot of my members will love this. We'll always sing that shut and visits and you know, what a friend we have in Jesus and yeah. you know, what peace we often forfeit, you know, all because we do not turn to the Lord in prayer, which, you know, conveniently here in Luke's gospel is that's the very next thing that it goes to. Um, is prayer. And then, you know, connecting that good port, you know, the one thing that's necessary, you know, receiving God's kingdom. You know, Luther will do this in his small catechism when he talks about the kingdom of God. Uh, and Jesus here will do it too, because Luther's catching that on this, is that that one thing that's necessary is the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus concludes, you know, our section today that we're talking about um, with that thought as well, that, uh, you know, give, receiving the Holy Spirit that grants us faith in Christ, that receives him, um, you know, so here, you know, uh, Jesus is trying to get Martha to receive that one good, that one necessary thing for eternal life. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the gift that he has come to give. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I think this is such a, a beautiful thing, the way Luke does this. So here's the one thing that Jesus is, is giving to Martha, you know, have this Martha. And the very next thing that he's going to talk to his disciples about is prayer, the, the idea is he's giving, so ask. Ask for that good thing that yeah. he wants to give. And so we're going to pick that part of the text up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, looking at Luke 10 and 11 with Pastor Andrew Belt. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, February 23rd. We are studying Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through chapter 11, verse 13 with Pastor Andrew Belt. He serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. They are the KFUO Church of the Week this week. Pastor Belt, prior to the break, we're looking at Mary and Martha. Jesus gives to Martha the one thing necessary, the good portion, listening to his word. And with that invitation from him, the next thing we hear from Jesus is prayer. His disciples have a question about how to pray. So we pick up the rest of the text. We're beginning now in Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is the rest of our text for today. That was Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. So, Pastor Belt, we have the scene set there in verse 1. Jesus is in a certain place. He's praying. We've seen Jesus praying on many occasions in the Gospel of Luke. He highlights Jesus' prayers through in several important places in Jesus' ministry. And now here the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray, which uh, sometimes I forget this, that I think sometimes we take knowing how to pray for granted as as Christians. Like, well, of course I know how to pray. I'm a Christian, but Jesus' disciples had to be taught, and, and it I think it it serves us well to to learn how to pray as well. Take us into how the scene opens. Yeah, you know, once again, Jesus, a certain place is where he comes and reminds us that Jesus came to a certain village, and so it's kind of going to connect connect on this thematically here. Um, he's praying in a certain place, and now Mary, you know. She's receiving from Jesus. Jesus wants Martha to receive. And now the disciples are learning about what it means to receive from God. So they're what you can almost there's Jesus praying. And you gotta wonder if the disciples are just kind of watching him. And you know, there he is just praying, and they're just like, huh. Now I wish I I knew how to pray like Jesus does. Mm. Uh, you know, they they want that one good portion too, perhaps. So how do I ask God? How do I receive from him? 
you know, what, what do I even ask God for? What, what's he going to get? You know, so there's probably all these thoughts that are going through their head. And I love that too, right? These are our grown men, um, you know, that are coming up and saying, well, can you teach us how to pray, right? This isn't like a child that we're trying to, you know, teach, you know, prayers to. These are grown men who are maybe worried, you know, how do I know that God hears my prayers? How do I, you know, have the confidence, you know, what do I even ask him? How do I talk to him? What do I call him? Um, you know, so it's uh, another indication, you know, this is, you know, once again, Luther will do this. You know, I, I believe that I cannot believe, I, I cannot by, receive by my own reason or strength, right? But, you know, God himself will teach me how to give. Jesus has to teach us how to pray that, you know, it's not something that's innate to us, that it's something that has to be given. Um, and here, you know, it's just like how, you know, I have two sons, I have a twin boys and, you know, teaching them how to talk, right. It's uh, mimicking, you know, I would say, you know, say, I love you or say this, you know, they would repeat it and you just love it as a parent. Right. Same thing with God, you know, same thing with Jesus. He's teaching us the words He's giving us these, you know, these petitions that we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, as a way of being confident of coming before God saying, this is what God wants to give. And so this is what you should ask for. Mm. Um, I was a love, you know, Luther's catechism. I kind of love how it's structured with, you know, the 10 commandments with, you know, it brings us to, you know, we got nothing. I, I have no righteousness. I, you know, I don't live rightly before God because the, the law is always revealing my sin. And then when we get to the creed, it shows us, you know, who God is and, and what he gives. And so I look at my empty hand because of the 10 commandments. And then I look at the creed and it, it shows me who God is and all that he has. And that drives me to prayer, right? Oh, I, I need those things that God has. Lord, would you please give me these things. Uh, you know, and I love how uh, Luther does that in our small catechism. And you see that being played out here too, with the disciples recognizing, uh, I need to learn how to receive from Jesus and, and the things I need to ask for in prayer, uh, mm-hmm. talking to God. So in, in response to the disciples' request, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, Jesus gives what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, or sometimes the Our Father. You mentioned it's it's there in the Catechism. But maybe the thing we should talk about first here in Luke 11 is that what I just read from the ESV mm. doesn't sound like what we usually say, you know, in, in the divine service, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. And then we say the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't sound quite like what's here in Luke 11. So maybe just talk a little bit about what we're reading, why the, the form here isn't precisely what we're used to saying, say, in the divine service or in our daily devotions. Right. Um, yeah, because it's missing, you know, it starts off with Father, but there's no, you know, who art in heaven. Um, and then there's also no third and seventh petitions of, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and deliver us from evil. And you know, it's not that, you know, we can't pray for that or that, you know, these are two different, you know, discrepancies or something like that. It could be as simple, you know, we don't know the exact reason for why maybe Luke has a different wording than, than Matthew. Uh, but certainly Jesus probably taught this prayer on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as he's going, he's going from village to village and Jesus isn't like making up new stuff for different towns and villages and for different households. He's going in there and he's, you know, he's saying the same teachings. He's, you know, the Lord, you know, God, you know, as Luther was saying, the large cat, God knows nothing better to to teach than to teach the same things. And, uh, and there's probably different emphasis that Jesus has. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is, you know, the model for prayer. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of maybe different reasons. It's interesting in some of the, you know, the different Greek manuscripts is that sometimes these, the different manuscripts try to harmonize these two, um, and try to bring out the missing petitions and put them in. Um, but you know, the, you know, the best manuscripts that we have kind of point out that this is, you know, this is the petitions here that Luke had written down. 
Um, and so it's just kind of interesting. And there is there is one I thought this was kind of interesting. I was doing a study. Uh, there's one of the manuscripts that adds in, uh, "Let your Holy Spirit come upon us and cleanse us after your kingdom come," hmm. uh, which is you know not an idea that's foreign to the text concerning what happens at the end, and certainly with Luther in a small catechism when he's emphasizing you know the uh, you know the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, receiving the kingdom of God means receiving God's Holy Spirit to believe and to keep God's name holy. Um, yeah, so just you know some interesting. Uh, thoughts on that too but you know in terms of you know why is luke's uh, gospel have a different you know different set of petitions or maybe a, a truncated lord's prayer um is that it could be some of luke's themes that he wants to bring out and it could be simply as luke you know jesus taught this in different places and he had different petitions when he prayed it too um yeah right yeah and i just i think that's just an important thing to to mention at least, so that we as Christians aren't troubled by this fact. Uh, right. why, Pastor, why why is the Lord's Prayer in Luke not what we say in church? Are we doing something wrong? Uh, no, no, we're not. Right? Jesus, as you said, right. and I think it, it's, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would have taught this prayer in multiple occasions and, and would have emphasized different things in the prayer, perhaps, you know, prayed. I mean, it, it's just, it's not difficult to imagine Jesus doing this no. so that when we see Matthew 6 and Luke 11 not have it recorded in precisely the same way, that shouldn't surprise us, and it shouldn't trouble us. Jesus is, is being a good teacher, teaching his disciples how to pray, emphasizing different things at different times, and we do retain that when we say the Lord's Prayer still today. So right. let's look at what Luke gives us here, and and we're not going to have time to go through each petition like <laughs> in the catechism, but, but what, are, what are some of the highlights as the Lord's Prayer is, is given here and the things that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for? Well, right, that, you know, Luther picks it up, you know, is this address of calling God father, right? Which brings to mind, I am his child, um, that uh, an idea of, you know, how do I relate to my father? How do my children relate to me? Well, they need to receive from me. Um, You know, I'm here to give them good things. I'm here to, you know, make sure they're taken care of, that they're kept safe, that they're provided for, that they're clothed, that they have shelter and things like that, that, you know, they live a right life before God and before me, you know, as my job as a father. And, you know, so I'm as the father, our heavenly father, right? He's in the position of giving to us. And so, you know, Jesus is very first word out of the, in his mouth when he teaches us the Lord's prayer is, you know, father, our father um, is a way of remembering, ah, this is the one I come to receive from and receive all good things from um, as well. So I just love how it begins that way. Uh, and then, you know, you get into some of the other highlights, you know, what am I here to, what do I need to receive from God? Um, Luke will, you know, tell us with his petitions with hallowed be your name, uh, that, you know, it's not that, you know, I need, I look at my life and I say, Lord, uh, you need to make me holy. Uh, so I, I see that I am not. So please make me holy, which, you know, directs us once again to the job and task of the Holy spirit mm-hmm. who comes, you know, give to give us what belongs to Jesus. Um, yeah. So this idea of receiving is still very much there. Um, as we transition, it kind of connects what we just did with Martha and Mary as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I I love the Lord's Prayer. And when we start to talk about the individual petitions, and I mean, it's just amazing how much is is here. And the things that Jesus invites us to pray for are not necessarily the things that we would pray for on our own. And I think particularly right. in Luke, you know, the hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. And of course, your will be done in, as we get it in Matthew and we still pray today. Those are not things that I necessarily would would think to pray automatically. 
I find that generally the the prayers that I come to my mind first are the fourth petition prayers, the needs right. of this life. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should pray for those things. But I, I do find it striking that Jesus says, hey, I know you need that. I'm going to get there. Pray for that. But start with these things. Here are these glorious gifts that God wants you to have. Pray for those. Yeah. I, I just, I, I love the way that this prayer is structured. And, and the more I meditate on it, even just the word, as you pointed out, Father, what what good news is there in that word? Oh my goodness. To, to be able to call God Father is such a, such a joy. So, but, but yeah. to, to keep us moving, let, let's go into the daily bread, the forgiving of the sins and, and keep moving. Yeah. Uh, you know, the daily bread was here. Something that was interesting as I was going through and you know doing the, the prep work for this is that daily bread is actually really hard to translate. There's um at least there's four different ones that you, four different ways that you can kind of emphasize it, um, but there's two kind of main ones. Um, and it, it what's kind of curious about it is that we only have this word, the daily bread, um, that that comes from the gospel of Matthew and Luke and uh, from the Didache, you know, early church document there. It's the only places where we find this word. Um, and it can either mean bread for our existence, you know, like what we need to do. It comes from the Greek word to be, um, or it comes from the future verb will be, uh, which translates as bread for the coming day. And, and that kind of gives it a, a dual meaning. Um so it can refer to either, you know, the things that are necessary for today, you know, as we would pray, food, and clothing, you know, everything that Luther's catechism notes as well for daily bread. And, and it can also mean that which we will need for the coming day of the Lord, right? So it kind of gives that eschatological, that end time, you know, return of Jesus kind of, you know, ring to it as well. And, you know, and when you get down to it, is it is it just the bread for the a coming day or is it bread for today? Um, you know, they could easily mean it both. You know, uh, it could be something I think was it origin, you know, early church father who states that they, he thinks that the apostles actually invented this word. Hmm. Um, and they kind of, you know, they're plugging their means. So they mean it both ways. You know, it's, you can put both in there. Um, and this is, you know, I think it's kind of interesting when we talk about the Lord's Supper and where we have it placed in our liturgy during the church service is as during the context of the Lord's Supper. Um, which, you know, that just puts a whole eschatological flavor on the, you know, give us this day our daily bread, the, the bread that we need for the coming day of the Lord. Um, you know, so I, I really kind of like that. And, you know, the early church was keen to pick up on that as well when they did their services too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of, I, I think, kind of one of those eye-opener things even for me too as I sit there and think, yeah, it is. It is both the things that I need for my daily existence, for my daily life that God loves to provide, but that also includes, once again, the, the one thing that's mm-hmm. necessary um, that he had just told Martha about, the, the, the coming day of the Lord and receiving that, that gift, that promise, the assurance of Jesus Christ ahead of that day um, that comes to me now. And I just, you know, it's good stuff. Sure. The the placement of the Lord's Prayer in the divine service right there prior to the words of our Lord, of the words of institution, I do think, I mean, that that gives a, that, that flavor to the Lord's Prayer, another way to look at it. And and certainly with the prayer for daily bread, but I think each of the petitions, you could look at it yeah. and you could see how, yes, in the sacrament, the Lord, you know, he is making his name holy for me. He is bringing his kingdom to me and, and on and on through the petitions that in the in the Lord's Supper, which, you know, there's the meal, the good portion. I mean, just notice how uh, yeah. these these hints here, you know, the, the meal in Luke 10 is not the Lord's Supper, but you have these hints 
that in Luke 10 and 11, I think with the Lord's Prayer and then the way it gets placed in our service that, hey, when I, when I pray these things, one of the ways the Lord's going to answer all of these petitions is in this this Holy Supper of the body and blood of Jesus. It's really, I mean, just the, the way that the church teaches us to, to read these things in the divine service, ah, it's, it's just so wonderful. And again, yeah, we, it is. We, we could meditate on this all for the whole show. We could have <laughs> spent the whole show on the Lord's Prayer, but but we do want to keep moving here in Luke 11. So as Jesus, he, he transitions from the prayer, here's the prayer, pray like this. And then he's going to teach him a little bit about prayer. And there's, there's, I think, three things going on. There's, there's a parable about a friend, and then there's some pretty direct language about asking and, and receiving, and then another parable about a father and a son. So let, let's yeah. start with this first parable. And of the of the three sections, I think this is the the strangest to us, because I don't know how if this happens anymore, <laughs> where where a friend comes to me at midnight and <laughs> and is asking for bread because someone just came to his house and he doesn't have anything. But there's still a lot of moving parts here, and maybe a bit of a, a, a we just this doesn't happen in our day and age. It would no. seem, but but it seems that Jesus is using this example, and his disciples know precisely what's going on. Can you help us bridge that gap here? What what's going on with this this parable of the friend going to another friend and asking for bread? Well, this is something, you know, in the Near Eastern context there, especially with custom and hospitality, it's kind of expected to, you know, care for someone if they come to you with a need to your house. Um, so here, even the, the term that's used, the word friend, you know, the guy comes in friend, um, lend to me. And this in ter- that the term there actually comes from the word phileo, right? With love of, of someone that you can count on, someone that's a deep relation to you. And Jesus actually question expects a no response in light of the, the customs of hospitality. So kind of, it's really like Jesus is asking, you know, and the, the guy here is asking, can you imagine a friend saying no if you were to knock on their door asking for something crucial for your life? Mm. Um, you know, so that's kind of the implication here. It'd be like a, you know, an emergency comes up and you go up to someone and say, I, please help me, right? You're not going to ignore them and move forward. You're going to stop, maybe call 911, you know, uh, help give, you know, whatever aid that you're able to give until, you know, professional people can come and help out as well. Uh, so, you know, Jesus here is kind of implying, you know, like a customer has lost on us, right? No one really asked for a cup of sugar anymore. Um, <laughs> but we have the, the implication that what this friend's asking for is something that's needful. He has a guest who's come to his house and it's proper in that day that if someone comes to your house, that you're to have food for them. And it's seen as a major breach in etiquette and in social responsibility if you do not have that. So for the friend not to have you know, the, the means to provide bread, um, basic food, would be it's a complete you know, an embarrassment. It's a complete you know, shame. And so the, you know, he's going to go to someone to help him provide for his needs, someone he knows he can count on to give him that. Uh, and so that's kind of the force of the question here. There's a, you know, in a place where there's no convenience stores and everything's homemade, um, you know, this, uh, it, you know, <laughs> you need to kind of have someone that you can rely on. And that's what the friend's going to here is someone that he knows he can receive from and who can help him. And so the, you know, the question here is he kind of pushed forward with that. The guy says, you know, imagine it, would anyone here among you have a friend who would say no to this, right? And Jesus kind of says, everyone would say yes to this. It's kind of easy. But then he kind of says, but imagine he says, you know, don't bother me. So even if the guy would just say no, and, you know, he gives his reasons for I'm in bed my children are already with me. You know, it's, I, I don't have the energy. I don't have the, you know, I'm not going to try to wake up my whole family just to give you a loaf of bread. So even if the guy says no, yet for the sake of the guy begging, you know, it's the middle of the night here, pounding on someone's door, right? Other people are probably hearing this, um, you know, for him begging, he's still going to get out of bed and he's still going to give the, the man what he needs to, you know, for in order to have, you know, 
um, social upkeep and for his shame to be covered. You know, you can think of Jesus covering our shame. Uh, and you know, so you see that a lot in that parable too. Uh, but yeah, you're right with, you know, our customs and hospitality and how we think, you know, this parable, like, oh, wait, what? Um, <laughs> but here, Jesus, you know, he's pointing out the obvious to his, his listeners that this is, you know, someone would uh, answer yes to this. And even if they said no, for the fact that you're begging in the middle of the night, he's still going to get out of the bed and give you what you need. Right. And and I think that's the 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 key is that, you know, even even if he wanted to say no, he's he's going to end up saying yes because of the, the the you know the impudence or the shamelessness and and the idea is like okay your friend's going to do this for you even maybe for not quite the right reasons he's going to do it yeah now think and and this is where Jesus will go with the last example you know now think god is your father who loves you he's definitely going to give you what you need because of that wonderful reason. I think that's kind of the, the force of the argument. So just to keep us moving so we don't run out of time, because we probably will, <laughs> don't, <laughs> take us into the ask, seek, knock passage from Jesus. Yeah, so you get the, you know, probably one of the most famous verses of the Bible. You know, you hear it a lot that will be quoted and commented on. Um, and I love this, uh, you know, this reminds us that the begging, you know, has no shame, right? The continually asking for God, that he's going to hear us. That he, will, in fact, you know, the Catechism of Luther will point out that uh, God commands us to pray and he promises to hear us. So this invites us to have confidence to come before God. Um, and, you know, the verbs here, they, they imply a keep asking, a keep seeking, keep knocking. It's something that we continuously do, right? Because begging has no shame. I love, I, I saw this quote here, St. Augustine. And, you know, you know, fourth century here. And he says, let then the slothfulness of man be put to shame. God is more willing to give than sometimes we are to receive. God is more willing to show mercy than we to be delivered from mercy. Mm. Uh, and I just you know, love the um, kind of implication that God is eager. It's not like God is withholding and he doesn't want to give and he's selfish. Right. He is told it's who God is. He is giver and he wants to provide. He wants to give. He wants to give to Martha. He wants to give to Mary. He wants to give to you and to me uh, and to all of our listeners, right? He wants them to receive those good things, that good portion that he has for them. Yeah, and so and so ask, and 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 he will give. I mean, what what great confidence this gives to our prayers. So ask, and and you'll you'll receive. It'll be given. I mean, that's you know we. I think sometimes we we hedge our bets. Maybe we're we're afraid. Like oh, right. I don't know. No, ask and and be confident. You know, and be confident. Of course, in the Lord's will that that it's good for you. But but ask with confidence because your Father loves you and and He wants to give. And that that is the example then that Jesus closes with. We've got about five minutes here, Pastor Belt, to to finish. And I think that this this is such a fantastic way to wrap up this whole conversation, where where Jesus now uses the image of God as a Father, which is where the prayer began. Yeah. And, I mean, just such a, a wonderful promise. Again, with about five minutes, take us through these last verses and, and help us to wrap this text up with all of its goodness. Right. Yeah. And like you said, it, this ends the way it began with him saying, Father, you know, us calling upon Father. You know, we can tie Martha and Mary, this whole situation into it too. And we can think of our own, which Jesus does, our own earthly examples of fathers who have their children's well-being in mind. They know what they need to survive. And, you know, even when, it, you know, it goes for our Heavenly Father, even much more so. Who knows even before we ask, you know, which I always love, you know, yeah. people will say, well, why do I need to ask if God already knows? And I always will say, well, why would you want to pray to God if he doesn't know? Right. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, we're, it's another way of we're assured. We have the certainty um, of his knowing how to care for us. And it gives us the confidence to ask, to seek, to knock, that we know where to go to. And Jesus is showing us literally the way. Um, 
And so certainly if we, you know, who are evil, if we know how to care for those around us, we know how to care for our children, um, how much more is God going to be able to care for us, um, right? So we're given that assurance. And that's what Jesus, you know, and this is what our, you know, our Lutheran confessions, we as Lutherans are always about, we're always about that certainty, that confidence, you know, which we have in the sacraments, which is why the Lord's prayers put where it's at in the service, right? That our prayers are heard by God. And here he is with his gifts that he is going to care for us. And he's not even withheld his own son from us, right? You know, Paul will do that uh, when we get into the, you know, the book of Romans there. He's not withheld his own son. How is he going to withhold from us anything else? Um, you know, and that kind of leads to that conclusion then, stating that all of our petitions, what they're driving us for, to wanting us to receive for asking for, is for the Holy Spirit. That's you know that's kind of where Jesus concludes there. Now that final verse, I'll just kind of read it again, right? Um, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, you know, a good portion to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So the Holy Spirit's kind of seen as this good portion. Um, Right, because the Holy Spirit delivers to us all the work of Jesus Christ, um, His death, His resurrection, um, we, you know, the sacrament that gives us faith and certainty with God uh, that we ask for. Um, so it keeps, you know, this the Holy Spirit will be the one that, as we mentioned already, right? It's, he will keep His name holy in, in our midst. He will deliver Jesus' kingdom to us. Daily bread will be received with thanksgiving, both earthly and eschatological bread. Uh, he'll, our sins will be forgiven. It'll keep us from temptation. Uh, it implies that the Lord's Prayer is, you know, why it's used so closely in our sacraments, um, because we see then how God is delivering, how He's answering, and giving us that certainty that's grounded in the gospel. Yeah, the the emphasis here on the Holy Spirit at the end, I think, is really important. It's not just generic good gifts. Certainly God does give all good gifts, but here very specifically the Holy Spirit is the answer to these prayers. And I, I love the way you connect. I don't know that I've ever done that. The, the connection to the one thing, the good portion, as we listen to Jesus teaching, God is giving us his Holy Spirit and, and answering all these good prayers that he's given to us, giving us all of these good gifts in the Holy Spirit. What a, what a fantastic, what a fantastic text we had this morning, Pastor Belt. Pastor Andrew, Amen. Pastor Andrew Belt, is pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin, helping us today with Luke 10, verse 38 through 11, verse 13. And Christ Lutheran Church, again in Marshfield, Wisconsin, is the Church of the Week here on KFUO. Pastor Bell, thanks for being our guest. Thanks for your congregation support of KFUO. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke 10 and 11, any comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app. You can send a message to us that way as well. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.